Oh, it's always fun to see who's tuning in. Yeah. Yeah. Great fun. All right. So tonight we're going to talk about acupressure for horses. Yes. Awesome. We are. So just, just in case there's people tuning in that haven't met you before or watched any of your webinars, just give us a little bit of your backgrounds just to familiarize people. Sure. So uh, my name's Kim Bauer. I live outside of Hood River, Oregon. And I, um, let's see, well, I started studying traditional Chinese medicine and acupressure in the late 90s. So whatever that is, 20 plus years ago. Um, yeah, beautiful Hood River. That's right. Except it's a little gray and rainy right now. Um, and so my background is in teaching. Um, I taught middle school and elementary school, but I didn't think I'd last 30 years till I could retire and do what I really wanted to do. Acupressure is what I'm the most passionate about. So I went ahead and got certified um, about 18 years ago, and I've been practicing and teaching it ever since. Um, so I teach acupressure classes for the Northwest School of Animal Massage, and then I have my own bodywork practice here locally. Uh, doing acupressure massage, a bunch of different modalities, but I'm always excited to talk about acupressure and even preparing for this. There's like so many different directions we could go that I have to kind of reel myself in and be like, okay, try to keep it basic. So I don't go down some rabbit holes. Well, um, I didn't realize that you were a middle school teacher before you got into all of this. That explains a lot because your presentations are always very uh, thought out and logical and easy to follow. So now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I taught middle school math and science. So yeah, oh, yeah, very, yeah. Like don't turn your back on them. Teach, that's what I tell my classes. I teach with an overhead projector because old habits of having to keep my eye on my students. And, <laughs> um, yeah. So anyways, that's, that's me. Um, but we wanted to, yeah, that's why I'm not teaching middle school anymore. Um, <laughs> I went down to elementary and then I was just like, you know what, I like teaching adults about acupressure and body work and stuff like that. Um, so you and I were talking before we started the recording, I think a little bit about acupressure versus acupuncture. So I just thought I would start out um, explaining a few things and then obviously, you know, we can, we can go from there. But one of the questions I get frequently is what's the difference between acupressure and acupuncture? And you know, acupuncture involves a needle. You have to be a vet to stick a needle in a horse. Um, but the points and the meridians are the same. So usually um, what people are using when they're working on horses are what are called transpositional points. So they've been transposed from humans onto horses. And you'll see slight variations in location depending on, you know, the book or the resource my theory is kind of, well, you know, China is a huge country and a lot of this was passed down orally. So there's going to be some slight variations. Maybe certain regions had points in a slightly different area. But the reality is when you're doing acupressure, there's a little bit more room to figure out where the point is on the horse versus if you're sticking a needle in and you have to be that much more precise. But they both accomplish the same things in terms of, you know, there, there's different styles of acupuncture, like there's medical acupuncture where um, people learn, like the vets will diagnose, okay, the horse has Cushing's, here's your cookbook points that you use, like tried and true points. And there's, so there's the Western assessment and then there's the acupuncture piece of it. And then there's the acupuncture where there's more looking at the animal's tongue and the pulses and doing a thorough assessment of 
okay, where is the chi flowing? Where isn't it flowing? What is the animal showing me, um, you know, in terms of how the certain organs in the body are functioning or not functioning? And that's one of the things back in the webinar I did on meridians, we talked a little bit about what each of the organs and meridians jobs are, because you kind of have to know, okay, well, what does the spleen do in the body? So then if that's not happening, we're like, oh, well, we have to do something to support the spleen by using, you know, like a spleen source point or something. Um, so they both can be, both acupuncture and acupressure, in my opinion, are very effective. And what I like about the acupressure is we're using our own energy or our own chi to work with the animal. So, you know, they have to be a willing participant. It's not something we're doing to them. Um, so, you know, part of doing a session is getting their permission and taking our time in um, paying attention to, to the information they're giving us. And as non-veterinarians, a lot of what, you know, what I'm doing or what I'm teaching my students to do has more to do with movement, you know, so they're, the chi isn't flowing properly, so they're not moving optimally. And then you locate, okay, is this in the neck? So which meridians run through the neck? Or is this in the hind leg? Which meridians are here? Because basically, if the chi isn't moving, then there's not optimal movement, but also as that builds up, then it becomes painful, right? So chi is a blockage, pain is a blockage of chi. And so our job when we're doing acupressure is to remove these blockages or, you know, one of the nice things about both acupressure and acupuncture is they can be done preventatively, you know? So some of that has to do with, you know, the beauty of what I'm trying to do today is teaching horse owners a few points they can use to help their animal kind of maintain health and knowing that if something's going on with them, you know, probably first call would be to a vet and then, you know, get a diagnosis or whatnot, and then be able to support them with acupressure. But as non-vets, we're not diagnosing. So I'm not saying there's something wrong with the horse's kidneys, but I might say to the client, you know, they've got issues with their bones, you know, maybe there's some arthritis, it's an older animal, there's some low back pain, there's stiffness in the hocks. I'm going to use kidney points to support because kidney's job is a lot of those things I just listed and the location of the kidney meridian is on the inside of the hind leg. But I wouldn't want my client to go to the vet and say, well, Kim said there's something wrong with my horse's kidneys, right? Right, right. And, and just listening to you with that really brief description, it's so clear to me the depth of your understanding and knowledge of the meridians, of chi, of five element theory, you know, in, in everything you're doing. So while there's a level that a horse owner can do, if one really wanted to, it's like anything, if you really want to understand it, it's something you have to study. It's something that, you know, you need to do some reading on, do some books. And like me personally, I've had a lot of acupuncture and I've had amazing uh, responses to the act. And my favorite one was when I had pneumonia and I was so sick and I went to my Chinese orb lady and she stuck me full of needles and gave me my Chinese herbs <laughs> and, and fixed me up. But I've seen her for many years for a number of things and she's really helped me a lot. So that's one of the things that someone doesn't have any experience with acupuncture or acupressure, I would, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I think having it done on oneself is a great way to help understand 
what it is and why it's valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was, I am seeing an acupuncturist right now and I specifically chose her because she does five element acupuncture, which is, I, you know, five elements isn't new to me, but, um, I, I'm, I probably am a challenging patient because I'm always asking questions and the whole point, you know, you're supposed to relax and all that, but she's actually been a good sport. Cause she's like, Oh, I got a text from her this morning saying, Oh, it's just so much fun to like, you know, talk the same language and, you know, be able to brainstorm because I'm always like, Oh, well, that's interesting. So if you're doing this, that means because she's very much using the pulses that are right here on yep. humans and then sticking needles in and then rechecking them. And, you know, so different practitioners and different veterinarians or different acupressure practitioners have different styles. And I think it's important for people to understand that there isn't just one way to do acupressure or acupuncture, whether it's, you know, the medical, like I mentioned, or assessing, but different schools teach things differently. And so some focus more on pulses, some do tongues and pulse. Um, you know, the way I teach it, because I'm not as proficient in pulses as I mean, you almost have to follow someone around and say, they feel it and then you feel it and they say, that's thready, that's bounding, that's, you know, the different qualities of the qualities of the pulse. But the way I teach it is more, we're assessing on the back shoe points or the association points, which are related to each of the internal organs and meridian systems. And that can be challenging when you're starting out. Um, so but just, anyways. just for a little clarification, which some people might not realize, that in Chinese medicine, the, the tongue and the pulses, if you can just describe those a little bit in terms of how they're used as an assessment, not that we're gonna be doing that, but just, <laughs> um, right. because you know, my Chinese orb lady, she comes and she doesn't read my pulses very often anymore, but she, and then she'll have me. Yeah. And the one time I ate, when I had the pneumonia, I had eaten a cherry popsicle because I was trying to get some fluids in. <laughs> so, no point and that changed your pulses. <laughs> Yeah. So, so the tongue is, um, there are different regions of the tongue. So like the very tip of the tongue is related to the heart. And then just behind that is lung and the organs. So when someone sticks out their tongue, an acupuncturist or someone trained in tongue diagnosis is looking at each of these locations to see, is there a color there? Like they talk about yellow coating on the tongue. So that would be heat or white coating would be cold or if you have a, a full tongue, um, that means one thing versus a skinny tongue with has to do with whether there's too much or not enough yin or yang. Um, so there's a whole, you know, you got to look at a lot of them and you, there's subtle things like if there's a crack down the center, that meat has something to do with the heart. And um, so that's one piece of the puzzle. And then, but it's harder to do on animals because if you try, you know, you can sometimes get in the bars, look at the side of a horse's tongue and just get a sense of the color. And like, if it's pale, it's more of a deficiency. And if it's red, it's more heat. So that might be the extent of tongue diagnosis unless the horse yawns and then you can quickly go and, you know, look at their tongue. Um, and then the pulses on humans, like we were saying, are taken on, on the um, lung meridian, on the radial artery here. On horses, they're taken on, on the neck, uh, on the carotid in the jugular groove there, but there are um, six meridian or 12 main meridians. And then there are three pulse positions here that are superficial. So one relates to lung. And then if I go deeper, that's a different organ. And then, so there are 
three superficial pulses and three deeper pulses, and then a different three on the other side. So what they do is they check your pulses to feel as one kind of bounding back against the finger, which might mean it's more of an excess condition or there's too much energy in that meridian or that organ, or is it really hard to feel the pulse and it might be more of a deficiency. Um, and what was interesting with, Go ahead. with the five, Go ahead, did you wanna say something? No, keep going, I'll say it after. Okay, well, what was interesting with the five element gal yesterday was she was taking my pulses and then the way she was trained, she was making a connection between what are called entry and exit points. So, for, so where one meridian ends, the next one begins. So sometimes there are blockages there. So it's like damming up a stream. So you have a buildup behind the blockage and then you have nothing in front of it. So it was empty. So in this case, she felt a blockage between my small intestine and my bladder meridians. And so she needled the end of my small intestine meridian right here. And then she needled the beginning of the bladder meridian, which was right at the corner of my eye, which was interesting to have a needle there. But it was to remove the blockage so that the, the stream of energy could continue. And it was really cool because that's not a technique that I've used. I've heard of these entry and exit points, but I don't use it on animals. So anyways. Yeah, it's very cool. I was just going to say that Dr. Harmon, um, I can remember her showing me a book on human tongues and it's really gross. Yes. <laughs> I mean, some of the variations were like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you, if you Google tongue diagnosis or Giovanni Macciocha, who is an Italian fellow who wrote a lot of traditional Chinese medicine textbooks, he actually has a tongue gallery on his website of human tongues, tongues that are really gross. Um, so if you want to knock yourself out, because then it says below them what they mean. You know, yeah, what the... now, if you're watching this webinar and you go to a mirror and you stick out your tongue and you look at it and you see something that scares you, don't panic. <laughs> right. Well, maybe you've been drinking coffee or you ate something and now your tongue is purple or right, black. Right, or, right. right. And that's, you know, I was teaching a class in Colorado probably, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago. And we were talking about tongues and we were going down the aisle and the horse I was demoing on had a yellow tongue. And I was like, oh no. And then the next horse had yellow and the next horse had yellow. Well, they all had selenium salt licks. Oh. So I was like, okay, never mind. It's okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, so those are the types of things like what did you just eat? Or what did, you know, what's in their environment? Have they been licking the dirt or, you know? Right. So anyways, um, so acupressure, acupuncture, you had mentioned a little bit about dry needling as well. So, yes. you know, there are, People, it's not something I do because I'm not a vet, so I can't stick needles in them. But my understanding of dry needling is they're just sticking needles really quickly into the points, I think. And I'm not even sure. A lot of times people have learned techniques, but they're not correlating them to the particular acupressure points. Like I think some chiropractors do dry needling. Um, I don't know if you've ever had an experience with it. Well, I, I guess I'm confused by the term dry. I mean, my yeah. acupuncturist uses needles that are dry. So is that dry needling or is, and, and maybe I, you know, I don't know if this is within your realm because you're not a veterinary acupuncturist, but you know, I know sometimes they use moxa, sometimes they'll inject yeah. stuff. So, so when it comes to acupuncture, there's a lot of variations. And I guess my understanding of dry needling simply just means that it's just, you know, it's the same as what regular thinking. needling. Yeah. 
And I think now that I think about it, and I could be wrong, but I think some of the dry needling may be on trigger points. So in acupressure, trigger points are called ashi points. And with the translation being, oh, yes, that's the painful place. And they're not always known acupressure points. So I think that may be a strategy for dealing with something that's come on suddenly. Um, and rather than doing like a trigger point um, technique, which would be more of a direct pressure and then some linear friction to break it up, stick a quick needle in it potentially. I don't know, okay. but you're correct. There's lots of different ways to, to work on acupressure points, but as non-vets, for those of us that you know aren't vets, we're gonna use our thumbs, fingers, hands, and like I said, the beauty of it is we're using our own energy to work with the animal. And also what I like about it is we feel the chi. So we, if we're working on a point, often we'll feel a pulsing or it'll warm up. And mm -hmm. so that's a pretty cool feeling in my mind. And we're paying more attention to the animal's feedback for that particular point. Because if you're, if you're sticking acupuncture needles in, a lot of people are sticking in, you know, 10 to 20 needles, there's a great cumulative effect, but we don't know which point was like the favorite one that the animal just loved, right? So with acupressure, if we're going to a point, there might be times the animals like doesn't respond and it could be just that they don't need that point, you know? So the points that I'm gonna explain today we haven't done any assessment. We're just picking points because they influence a region or they, you know, help with the stifle or something. But I think um, it's a really good distinction is that when you're doing acupressure, you're really only working on one point at a time. Whereas with acupuncture and I, you know, my horses have been needled, I've been needled and the practitioner may put in, like you say, 10 to 20 needles and, and then with me, they hook me up to some electricity, which is awesome. Right. <laughs> Um, and you get this little buzzing, which actually changes, um, the body changes. But anyway, um, with acupressure, you really are focusing, I, and I hadn't thought about it that way, on a single point at a time, because you're staying there. You, your pressure is what's activating that point. And sometimes we might do a couple points together with the strategy being to bring the energy, like there's a couple points on the gallbladder channel on the neck, and then I'll hold them together but I'm focusing my intention of bringing the energy between my two hands. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a more kind of methodical way of doing it. But my point is also that we're not always gonna get a response on every single point, right? So some people think, oh, well, if the horse isn't yawning or licking and chewing or you know getting super sleepy, then we're not doing it right. And the reality is some horses need space to process, like they won't, you know, let down their guard until we're out of their space. And then there's others where they might have a lot of responses on one side and not so many on the other side, even though we, we tend to do the points bilaterally. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's sometimes where points are super painful and they're like, oh, no, you can't touch that. And in that case, you know, we might be less focused with a thumb or fingers and, and just use our whole hand to wrap around a joint maybe, or, or hold a joint like this, and you can still influence the points that way. And it's a lot, sometimes it's more tolerable to the animal because it's not like jabbing at, you know, the sore area, right? Oh, does this hurt? Does this hurt? How about now, you know? 
And well, and there are horses and people that are totally needle phobic. Yes. You cannot use a needle. And so this is a great alternative to those um, creatures who um, (laughs) are needle phobic. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, and what I thought we might do before we start talking about points is do one on ourselves just so, so we kind of can talk a little bit about technique and, you know, so, um, on your wrist, and this point is on both sides. So we're gonna do pericardium six. And on most people, it's probably two to three finger widths below your wrist crease. So start with two. It's between the tendons in the middle, okay? And then you can put your hand down if you want or leave it up. But, and I, for some reason, I tend to use my thumb on this point. Um, So, what you want to do is just sort of get in the general area based on the anatomical location and then start with the uh, the least amount of pressure. So you don't want to press super hard trying to see if you can feel the point. Ideally, less is more. So you want to just sort of settle in and, you know, like I've started kind of wiggling my thumb. It's sort of like I'm, I'm, trying to see where it feels like, you know, is there, mine's kind of sensitive. I don't know if yours is, but what, um, what you may find is there's an area that's more painful than the other. So if you feel a little bit of a sensation, you might back off your pressure. Um, but ultimately what you're trying to do is bring chi to the point. If it feels kind of cool and empty or you don't feel much, or if it feels a little sensitive like mine is, then you might um, just press a little bit and then back off and then press a little bit and back off. So you don't wanna go jabbing in there using lots of pressure because it's sort of like working with a hose. You could kink the hose if you press too hard. Um, And what I find when most people work on themselves is they use too much pressure. Yes, I do too. So I'm always trying to remind people that because people feel like, I don't know if it's because pressure is in the name of acupressure or people want to feel things, but these are relatively, you know, these meridians and these points are relatively superficial and it doesn't mean we can't use more pressure. I mean, there's times when there's horses that are like backing into me, like trying to sit on me wanting more pressure, but I'm not going to start there. Right. Because for the sensitive one or the painful one, either you're going to lose their trust or if it's painful, it could be dangerous. You know, you, you want to be safe. Um, and then go to the other side just for comparison's sake. So again, two fingers below the wrist crease. See, my right one feels fine. Um, but this is pericardium six. And, and it is a point I have for the horses, which, so we'll talk a little bit more about it. But it's a great point for calming. People that have seasickness, you know, will often wear bracelets mm-hmm. along here. Um, so it helps with nausea, um, digestive stuff. So it's a really good point with all sorts of reasons why you'd use it. Um, and I don't know. If, if so I just else. noticed that mine, mine does not feel hot or cold or sensitive. <laughs> okay. So you don't need, probably don't need this point worked on. Okay. So, and, and that's, that's, and I'm glad you said that because that's the reality of not every point going to be like, oh yeah, that's the spot, you know, where you're going to relax. Um, for a lot of people, this is calming. It sometimes makes them take a deep breath because it kind of relaxes tension in the chest. 
um, you know, if someone's not breathing right, but obviously you're well-adjusted, calm, not worried about anything. Yeah. I was yeah. doing this before we started the call. I was like, okay, because <laughs> I always get nervous right before. Um, so so um, if anybody watching the webinar has had any responses or feeling sensations to this point, just pop in the chat. We'll be curious. Yes. Yes. And, you know, the beauty of this is the points, any point can have a local impact, you know, so wrist stuff, if somebody, or carpal tunnel, or people that spend too much time on the computer, or this could be one that you might be massaging without even knowing you're on a point, right? But learning that it is a pericardium point, and so the pericardium as the heart protector and the pericardium meridian starting in the chest and running down the front, well, our arm, but down the front leg, it also, you know, you guys know I what I mean. It. I totally get it. <laughs> um, like when I talk about my car, it's like, yeah, it's the left rear tire, you know, yeah. I mean. Um, but so it can also influence things along the path of the meridian, right? So we have distal points and we have local points. And in some cases, if an area is too painful, then you might not work on that point and you might go to a different point on the meridian and then come back to it. Right. And often when we're doing acupressure, if we are using our hand, um, like I mentioned, this is pericardium eight. So there's a big old energy orb right here. So people that do Reiki or you know body scans, they're tapping into this energy. And the way to find it on you is if you bring your middle finger down to your palm, wherever your middle finger hits, that's your pericardium eight. Oh, that's an easy way to find it. Cool. Yeah. All right. So we have a question oh, on the chat. Did you? Um, how do you tell the difference between the pulse you're trying to feel and the pulse in the end of your thumb? Or isn't the pulse in the end of your, or isn't that a pulse? It's in the end of my thumb. <laughs> and she was pressing it. She admits she was pressing way too hard. Yeah. I mean, part of it is some people will not use their thumb because of the pulse. You know, they'll use the, they'll use fingers like pointer and middle finger. Um, I think you just kind of have to experiment with it. And it may be that you're going less on feel and more just on response from the animal or that the tissue seems to be inviting you in a little bit. So then it's relaxed that way. And then with time, you might get a better read on, okay, what I'm feeling is, is my pulse. And I know what that feels like. And then if there's a different feeling here, that's the animal's chi. So yeah, it is very subtle and it's practice, 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 practice. And, you know, just when you think you have it figured out, then you'll get an animal that'll be like, you know, I mean, this is, this is lifelong stuff and it's, it's cool to learn just the subtle nuances. At least I like doing that. Um, okay. So should we talk about some points or do we have other things I need to? No, I think that's really, really good. Let's talk about some points. Okay, so I'm going to share my screen, I believe. You should be able to, I made you co-host. Okay, um, let's see if I do this. Yep. There we go. If I do this, does it go full screen? Yep. Okay, um, so I took some of the slides from my previous, from the webinar we did on meridians, just so people were aware of the location of these meridians. Um, and I didn't do all the meridians, but um, the first point I'm gonna talk about is a stomach point. And 
I just wanted to show that the stomach meridian is one of the longer ones uh, in the body going from the eye up over the TMJ and then along the belly and then down the front of the hind leg. So there are points along this meridian that will impact anywhere on there. The point in particular that um, I selected is stomach seven. And what this is gonna be more of a local point, but I feel like more and more animals and probably people are carrying tension in their jaw and in the temporomandibular joint. And so on us, you know, if you, if you take your hand and maybe your middle finger is pressing up against your cheekbone, that's your zygomatic arch. And then a little bit further back, you can probably feel your temporomandibular joint. There's a little slight gap between the bones as you're heading towards your ear. And so this is how I would do this on a horse is I would put my hands right on their masseter muscle and I tend to do both sides. So I'd be standing, you know, kind of in underneath their neck, depending on how tall they are, or in front of their shoulder with my hands on either side of them and light pressure, because a lot of them, if there is something going on with their TMJ or with their teeth, um, maybe they clench their teeth, maybe they have trouble with the bit, maybe they have tooth issues, um, they may be sensitive. So if this is too much pressure by doing both sides at the same time, then I'll obviously just go to one side. But where the yellow dot is, is right underneath the TMJ joint. So I kind of like snug my middle finger right up against there. And so I'm not using very much pressure in a, in a 90 degree angle. It's more subtle where my hand's there and I'm just thinking about relaxing the area and what you may find, you know, there are horses where if you put your hands here and compare, the TMJ bulges out more on one side than the other, which might indicate, you know, that they're not chewing properly, there's some dysfunction. And a lot of times issues up here show up as a stifle problem. And the reason I say that is, so the connection is your stomach meridian, right? And so oftentimes where an area is painful isn't where it's originating from. And that's where the knowledge of the meridians is helpful because there's often a, a referral pattern along the meridian. Sometimes there's, you know, with trigger points, there's referral patterns within a muscle. Um, but so anything that would involve pain or stiffness um, of this particular area or swelling, and obviously, you know, if it's a sudden thing or they're off their feed and painful, call the vet. Um, but I feel like this would be a nice thing, a nice way to kind of support our own horses on a somewhat regular basis, just if, if they seem to be a little bit tense or maybe high headed. Um, it can also impact the ears, so hearing issues, and then trigeminal neuralgia. So like your head shakers, this might be due to the location of the trigeminal nerve, which comes right through that area. This would be a way to kind of influence that if they were okay with you having your hands on their head. A lot of times head shakers don't want you anywhere near their head. Right. Um, but this brings up something really interesting to kind of tie in some other webinars and stuff. So often people's bridles put the buckle right there and it really, the, the cheek buckle should be down along the cheek and not up anywhere 
in that area. Yes. Um, and so it just makes me think that if a horse is really sensitive there, it would be important to look at the bridle fit and make sure that the buckles aren't pressing on the TMJ or somewhere on that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like a young horse who's, you know, going under saddle, but maybe still teething or, you know, so there's so many ways. And so it doesn't have to be that there's an issue, but it could be doing this preventatively or just, you know, a nice way to help your horse relax after a ride um, before you put them back in their stall or in their turnout or whatever. Right. So, so moral of that story is that acupressure doesn't have to be uh, because of a problem. It can be just a nice thing to do. Absolutely. And I encourage people to get to know these points on their horse and how they respond to it, you know, before they, an issue might show up because then they might be more inclined to think, oh yeah, I, I think I heard about a point that could help with this. Um, and there's points that I do on myself on a regular basis when I'm traveling or teaching to help stay healthy while I'm out of town, because I don't want to get a cold or get sick while I'm supposed to be teaching. Um, so, all right. So that was stomach seven. And then um, the next one I'm going to show is a large intestine point. So, and the stomach and the large intestine, not that this is, has anything to do with anything other than that I find it interesting. They're mirror images of each other in terms of the location on the legs. So there are times where if say it was too sensitive to work on the stifle, you could go work on a large intestine meridian um, you know, by the elbow uh, and impact because these are mirror images that way. And that ties into when we talked about the temperament typing. Mm -hmm. um, so like your metal earth type would be large intestine and stomach, right? So anyways, I just, you know, can't not make those connections. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, I love it. <laughs> and then is this bar at the top in the way of you guys or just on my screen? The Google? Uh, no, we see that the top of the slide has a white frame on it. So we're good, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I see chat and your screen sharing and Oh yeah, no, it's not interfering on our. Uh, okay, on I just wanted to make sure I wasn't blocking part of my slides. Yep. Um, so we're going to talk about large intestine four, and there are a couple variations on location, which is why this slide is from IVIS, so the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society. But essentially, large intestine four is below the carpus, so on the front leg, medial side, right near the top of the splint bone of the medial splint bone. On us, it's here. It's the one people use for headaches oh. and stuff in the in the webbing, but kind of pressing back towards your pointer finger. Yeah. So large intestine four. And this is a really good one. So it's the master point for the face and mouth. So master points are a, a category of points that influence an area of the body. In this case, it's anything face and mouth. So a lot of horses, when you take the bit out of their mouth, guess where they rub, right? Oh, wow, yeah, sure. So they're self-treating their large intestine four. They're, they're going and they're rubbing their mouth right below the carpus, and that's influencing anything to do with, you know, the teeth, the jaw, um, whether it's pain. Um, it's also a source point. So source points are another category of points and each meridian has its own source point, which accesses source chi, which the kidneys are responsible for. So they're, 
they're pretty important points and they're great ones to start with. Um, and so large intestine four is a source point for the large intestine. So that means it would help with things like constipation or dryness or um, issues that tend to impact the large intestine itself. So large intestine needs some moisture to do its job. Otherwise there's constipation. Um, the large intestine and the lung together are responsible for the exterior of the body. So the immune system in Western medicine, in traditional Chinese medicine, it's referred to as Wei Qi or protective Qi or defensive Qi. And it's just that the body is able to fend off any changes in weather. So wind, cold, heat, damp, those external pathogens, if they're allowed to come into the body, cause problems. Um, and the large intestine and the stomach that we just talked about in particular, both don't do well with heat. So whether it's heat in the stomach, you know, like ulcers or digestive upset, heat in the large intestine would be constipation. It also could be um, dryness of the skin. So using this point will help expel any of these external pathogens that I just mentioned. And Large intestine four is a really, really good pain point because it moves chi. There's another point we'll talk about in a minute, bladder 60, which is called the aspirin point, which is good for pain anywhere in the body. But large intestine four is really good for pain, like from kind of the rib cage forward. Um, so more in, in the front end of the horse, if you will. So I've used this point on people when, you know, I'll have somebody in my clinic and they'll tell me they have a headache and I've always been told, make sure they're not pregnant. And then to go and basically hammer on that point, um, yes. and have helped a bunch of people, but, um, it's interesting that this also has to do with weather change because, you know, so often we hear about, oh, the weather's changing. I got to watch out. My horse doesn't colic. Right. Yeah. So, so large intestine four, and then I've got another point coming up. Stomach 36 would be good to do as the weather changes in hopes that they don't get colic. Right. And so that's, uh, but I didn't realize that it's, it's right. Really like on, on your diagram, it has a white circle and a pink circle. Yeah. Is there a reason for that? Yeah. Because there's some people put it in one place. Some people put it in the other. I would go with the white one. Okay. Um, because that looks more in the webbing whereas the other looks um, less yeah. And actually, I think now that I said that, I think the pink one is a different point. It's a classical point. So just pay okay. attention to the white dot, white dot. Um, but that's fa fascinating because that's right where the head of the splint bone is practically, or just below the head of this. It's yeah. like identical to like, yeah, yeah. That I right. And yeah, you know, like years and years ago, and I'm just going to throw this out, but years and years ago, I heard a theory that, uh, the cannon bone is actually the three middle fingers form together into one. And then, then you get your arrogant and your chestnut, which when you look at the cannon bone shape, it has the three bumps, right? So it yep. makes sense, but then that would also make a lot of sense in that um, location. Yeah. 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 I mean, basically horses are walking on their middle finger, which is the, which is pericardium and pericardium ends at the apex of the frog. So that's your pericardium nine. And then, yeah, here's your splint bones, your medial and lateral splint bones, right? Yeah. And here's, here's the wrist or carpus, even though a lot of people call it the knee, technically it's the wrist. Right. But yeah, yeah that's, that's just a, yet another 
connection of the relationship between that we can find things that way. Cool. <laughs> well, and it's that whole transpositional thing, right? So we're yeah. transposing them from us. And I'm always, you know, showing them to people on themselves. Some people find that helpful. Some people find it confusing to try to correlate it to, you know, horse anatomy, but it's a very good point to use on yourself for all sorts of reasons, whether you have, you know, dental issues, headache, or you just want to boost your immune system because you feel a little cold coming on or, you know, heat fever or whatever. Yep. It's a great point. I've used it for years. Yeah. All right. So then um, lung meridian, I got a lung point. So this may be hard to see, but it's the purple line. Basically the lung starts in the belly of the pectoral muscle and it comes down the medial side of the leg. Um, and so lung seven is just, if you go to the bottom of the chestnut and you go forward across the cephalic vein and you run into bone, that's lung seven. It's on the styloid process. So on us, it's right here. If you okay, feel this okay. little, you feel that little bone there mm -hmm. at the top of it, that's lung seven on us. So this is another master point, like large intestine four was for face and mouth. This is the master point for the head and the neck. Um, and it also is what's called an opening point for the conception vessel, which runs on the ventral midline. So this point I would use for cervical stiffness or pain if maybe it was too painful to actually start working on the neck. This would be considered a distal point, but because of the energetics of it, it will influence the neck. And then I could maybe do some stuff along um, the neck itself. And I forgot to say on large intestine four, we just did, that would be one where if there were TMJ issues and the horse didn't want you going to stomach seven first, you might do large intestine four first, since it's the master point for face and mouth, and then see if they'd tolerate stomach seven. Um, so lung seven, you know, because of the nature of the lung, anything to do with a sudden cough or asthma or respiratory issues or sweating. So anhydrosis is the inability to sweat. And this is not a common thing where I live in the Pacific Northwest, but some people may be listening from other climates. Um, Usually sweat is related to heart because it's the fluid of the heart. However, in this case, in order for a horse to sweat, the lung has to open and close the pores. So if that function isn't occurring, you can have anhydrosis. So lung seven is gonna have to do with anything to do with the exterior of the body because lung and large intestine are sisters. So immune system, um, and it can be used preventatively, but this point will also greatly influence the neck and anything to do with breathing. Um, and then it can also help some with grief. So the emotion that goes with, with lung and large intestine to some extent is the ability to let go or move on. So grief or sadness or things like that, you could use this point for. Hmm. And this, we're in the metal element time at, well, not, I don't know, not in Brazil with the person who's on here, but in the Northern hemisphere, we're in the metal element time of year until we've got water coming up when we get to December. So a lot of things right now, 
people are, you know, doing points to support lung and large intestine because it's a double whammy time of year, you know, weather changing, all that stuff. All right. Then we've got small intestine meridian, which starts down on the lateral side of the front foot and goes up to the elbow, zigzags around the lateral side of the foreleg, goes up the neck to the jaw and up by the ear. So the point I picked for this is small intestine nine, and it's not um, a particular, it's not a category of points, but the name of it is shoulder integrity. So basically anything to do with the shoulder, um, this would be a really good point. Um, and it's located, you can't tell as well from the Palomino picture, which is why I put the other picture. It's at the height of the point of shoulder. So the point of shoulder is right here. I don't know if you can see my mouse or not. Yep, we can. Okay, we can. So, so there's the point of shoulder. So you're coming straight back. And then this is the deltoid muscle here coming off the back of the scapula. So when you get to the caudal edge or the back edge of deltoid, before you get into triceps, that's small intestine nine. And I'll often just kind of stroke down this groove if I can find that on the horse and check myself that I'm at the height at the point of the shoulder. But this is gonna be useful for anything related to the shoulder. So whether it's, you know, something like Sweeney or um, brachial plexus stuff, but pain, inflammation, stiffness, weakness, um, I almost think it should be considered a master point like the large intestine four and lung seven, but it's not. Um, but a lot of horses have shoulder issues. So this would be one that's real, relatively easy to find. And oftentimes it's kind of a big old hole, like you can fit you know, your thumb in there. So, so certain points feel different, like whether they're between muscle bellies or whether they're a long bone. So some of them are gonna be more linear and some are gonna be more square or round and others are gonna be really tiny. Um, and so when I'm finding any of these, I'm stroking through the area kind of with flat hand or flat fingers until I find the point. And I might just use two or three fingers and stay like that. Or I might feel the need to come up and use my thumb or fingers, you know, with a little bit more pressure, but I want to be invited in, like we said at the beginning, you know, so it's not pressing our way through. It's, it's kind of like if you had your hand on water, if you slap the water, you're gonna meet resistance. But if you have your hand on water, you can let it gently sink in. Um, so, and then I just kind of hang out for a while and it might be a minute, it might be a few minutes. It, it might be till I feel either tingling or warm or, you know, or I see a physical response from the horse like yawning or licking and chewing or passing gas, or sometimes they'll move a tiny little bit to allow me to get deeper into the point. And sometimes they'll leave. They'll be like, yep, I'm done. You know, they'll get a little agitated and then I'll think, okay, am I holding my breath? Which oftentimes I am. So I have to remember to breathe. Um, am I using too much pressure? Should I try a flat hand? And then sometimes I just, I, I either go to the other side or I try a different point and then maybe I come back. Um, so there's, there's some trial and error to it, but you know, if people are trying this on their own horse or horses, um, you know, hopefully you, you have the time to try a few points 
one day and a few others another day and, you know, just kind of get a feel for what they like and don't like. And I think you bring up such a good point that you've, you've got to play with it and like every horse is a little different in terms of pressure, in terms of the amount of time. And it, it's so much like surefoot, you know, you got to listen to the horse and, and be engaged with the horse in the process because ultimately he gets to tell you, I like that. I don't like that. Or maybe I'm done with that or come back later or do more. Well, and I think, you know, and I'm glad you made that connection because I agree. And in, in some cases it's hard for us not to be doing something right. Mm -hmm. So what it's the waiting. Okay. We, I got them on the surefoot pads and now I'm just going to step back and watch and see how they process. Same thing with the points. I mean, I'm, I'm going to find the points, settle in, keep an eye on the horse. And sometimes, you know, if you have a handler, sometimes it's better if you don't have a handler or sometimes you need a handler for safety. So it's, but ultimately it's a conversation between us and the horse. And so even though I'm working on a point or sometimes two, my other hand is on them, right? So I have a connection and I'm trying not to have a conversation with somebody else at the time. I'm trying to listen to the horse's feedback. And I feel like it's, it's like the coolest gift they give us when they sort of check in with us and you can kind of have this nonverbal dialogue through feel and just watching how they move. I mean, it's so, it's so exciting. And I, when I started doing this with my own horses, I just felt like it was so empowering to be able to notice things about them. So even, you know, people, when, when you groom your horses, you might just want to do it with your hands and feel for, you know, how's the tissue feel here? How's, you know, how's the temperature here? How does one side compare to the other? And hopefully notice things early on before they're set up to be some kind of a compensatory issue or, you know, a major thing where now it's like, oh, now we got to play catch up to get them back to balance. Yeah. And, you know, I had Nishan Cook on, on Tuesday and the thread I'm hearing listening to you is this thread I heard from him is that just be spending time with your horse and observing like he goes out and reads in the field with his horses that's he mm -hmm. meditates out there with them to have that quiet time but and I, I'm I'm just as guilty as the next person I'm in a hurry I you know I've got this much time before I have to go home and do dinner and I want to be with my horse but I you know you it's hard to stop the busy brain and just take the time to go, okay, wait, I'm just going to feel this today. I just want to feel what this is like, even if it's a couple of minutes, but I think that's so important to do that sort of check-in instead of be on a, you know, schedule on a routine. Well, and they respond so much better. They're like, oh, really? We're just hanging out. I mean, how cool is this? <laughs> yeah. So. Although there are some who are all about the job, but you know, right. Um, right. Yep. There are some horses and, you know, and that makes me think there are some horses who acupressure may not be their favorite thing until you find the right point. And then it might be like, oh, I found the off switch because they're like, oh, finally, you got to where I needed you. So don't be deterred if, if you don't get a whole lot of response on some of these points because they may not need them. But some of these ones like, you know, the large intestine four, lung seven and um, stomach 36, when I get to it, you could be doing those just for overall wellness, immune system stuff. Um, and there's nothing wrong. You're just doing them maybe once a week or a couple times a week, just because. 
Well, and that's that time to just kind of be, you know, yes. is go to a point and sit there for a little while. Yeah. And we all need to do more of that in this yeah. crazy world. Yes. All right. Um, so speaking of so stomach, so we already talked about stomach seven up by the TMJ. So here's stomach 36, which there are people who will use this in every single session because it is such an important point. Um, one of the sayings is if the stomach chi is good, the prognosis is good. So obviously if an animal's eating, that's good. Um, it's another master point. In this case, it's responsible for the gastrointestinal tract and the abdomen. So anything related to digestion, um, it's going to be one that you should be thinking of. And it's located pretty cranial. So it's, that's why I have this picture on the left. So the white point there. So here's kind of the cranial midline and it's literally like one finger width lateral from the cranial midline. And it's below um, the tibial tuberosity. So on the right-hand picture, there's a little white X up here where the patella is. And then down here, there's a little bony. This is the top of the tibia. So there's the tibial crest, tibial tuberosity here. And then stomach 36 is just down and slightly in. Okay, some people put it a little more in. I keep it pretty cranial. And this is one of those points that's a little more linear. So on us, it's just below the knee. So if you put your palm of your hand up, let's see if I can do this. So if you put the palm of your hand here and you drop your finger down, middle finger down and you go lateral one finger width and you rub up and down and you can move your foot up and down, you will feel a groove. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's stomach 36. So its name is leg three mile. Like you'll see runners and they'll be, beating that because it's pretty, you know, shin splint type thing to, and it, what this point does is it gives you the endurance to go three more miles. So it's leg three mile. <laughs> um, so it's a good, obviously local stifle point. If there's something going on with the stifle, it might be too painful. And that would be a time when you'd wrap your hand around the stifle. Um, but it's also really good for what's called rebellious chi. So there's all the different chi's of the body and the different organs have their own chi and stomach chi is supposed to go down, okay? The digestive process, they digest it, you go down. Horses don't vomit, but you know, small animals do, people do. That is rebellious stomach chi. It's uh -huh. rebelling and going the wrong direction. So this is a really good point for that. So digestive issues, if there's gas or there's bloating or there's diarrhea or there's constipation, um, this point will help redirect things in the, in the right direction. And this is a good point for colic, especially gas colic or colic that has a constipation component or diarrhea. And um, it's also good for choke because the stomach channel comes right down through the area by the esophagus. And then because it is stomach and spleen belong to the earth element, it's a very grounding point. So it's um, the earth point on the stomach channel. So this is a good one to use all the time. I mean, this would be one where you might do it daily for a week before you were hauling your horse 
somewhere, okay? Just to build up the immune system um, or, you know, if they're being hauled cross country or the ones that go, you know, south in the winter to compete, this would be something that could be done every day ahead of time doing the preventative thing, helping to tonify or strengthen the overall chi of the body. Um, all right. And the, um, then, does it work on cats that oh, yeah. like, puke? Absolutely. Do you have one of those? When Buster, I have to give Buster a spoonful of time because if I give him too much, he eats it all and then he chucks it up, right? Because he yeah. gorges and then it's like, oops, can't handle that. Well, and some of these animals that do that, the reason they're scarfing down their food is there's heat in the stomach, like an irritable bowel type thing. And the stomach doesn't like heat. Just like I was saying earlier with large intestine, they don't like heat. So yeah, stomach 36 would be good. The other one would be on the belly, halfway between the xiphoid process and the umbilicus. That's CV12. That's the alarm point for the stomach. Okay. You can rub that um, too. I'll see if I can yeah, work on that on him. Yeah. All right. And then we've got gallbladder. So um, gallbladder like stomach is a pretty long meridian. In this case, it starts outside the eye, goes around the ear, down the middle of the neck, under the scapula, along the ribs, and then around hip, down the middle of the leg. So on people, it goes down the pants seam. So hip stuff, stifle, hawk, all those joints. So gallbladder 34, is the influential point for any kind of sinews. So tendons and ligaments. Um, so on this picture, there's a whole lot of stuff going on, I realize, but um, basically it's this green dot right here. So here, the yellow one, this is stomach 36 again. So we've got that. So here's the tibial tuberosity and then gallbladder is a little bit more in the middle of the leg between the long and lateral digital extensor muscles, and it's between the tibia and the fibula. So you can't always feel the fibula, but um, you can usually feel these muscles and you can find this tibial crest. And when in doubt, it's usually on most horses about a 45 degree angle up from stomach 36. And if you're not sure, again, you could use three fingers or so. So any kind of tight, painful, rigid muscles Gallbladder and liver are sisters, and the liver in particular is responsible for the harmonious flow of chi. So this would be good. It moves liver chi. So stuck liver chi is very painful, and often those are irritable, angry animals that don't want to be touched. They might be trying to kick at you. These are the ones that have a lot of tension in the ribs. So like intercostal neuralgia, maybe they don't want to be groomed. They're, you know, just not happy because they're tense. You could use this point to support them. This would also help with shallow breathing because you know if you're kind of painful and crampy, you're not taking deep breaths because you're afraid it's going to hurt. All right, we good? Yeah, I think that's one that I mess around with on me all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's a good one for all sorts of reasons. And I think I don't know if it's because horses don't have a gallbladder, but a lot of them really need this point. Um, so again, this could be a good one to do preventatively. Maybe the horse has had some time off and you're bringing them back into work and you don't wanna have the whole weekend warrior thing where they get injured right out of the gate with a tendon or ligament injury because 
stuff isn't supple like it's supposed to be, you could use this point. Cool. All right. And then bladder, another of the long ones. So this one starts at the inner corner of the eye, goes over around the ear, along the top of the neck. And then through the back is where the back shoe or association points are that we assess on um, if you have training in that. And then it goes down kind of the back of the leg. So bladder 40 is right if they, if, if you flex the stifle, it will be easier to feel because there's kind of a hole there, but it's essentially between the back or caudal branch of the bicep femoris and the semitendinosus muscle. And it's the master point for low back and hips. So basically anything in the hind end, this point will help with. It can help clear blockages anywhere along the bladder meridian that I just showed you. Um, and muscle spasms. And then also because of the kidney and the bladder being sisters, um, the kidney controls the bladder. So if you have some urinary incontinence, sometimes you need to do a bladder point to help, or maybe there's a urinary tract infection. Again, that would be a call to the vet, but you could be supporting your horse with this point if that was a diagnosed thing. So that's a great point to use, especially on older animals. You know, they kind of start getting a little arthritic or stiff, or maybe in the winter, they're not moving around as much. This would be a really good point to help support the hind end. Looks like a fairly easy one to, to find too, just coming down the back of the leg and kind of dropping in right there. Yep. And that it's right in that popliteal fossa there. And there's a lymph node in there. So, you know, if if the horse has their leg cocked and you're digging around and you feel something feels like a kidney bean, that would be the lymph node. So don't squeeze don't it or panic. anything, but yeah, there's a big old hole there that you can, you're like, Oh yeah, that's it. All right. And then I got, I think a few more. Um, so spleen sister of stomach, uh, starts on the medial side of the hind leg comes up by the tubercoxae and then goes down by the elbow and ends in the middle of the rib cage there. So I would be remiss if I didn't include spleen six. My um, students all know that this is, oops, this is uh, one of my favorite points. So, so I always use it. Part of it is it's got a lot of mileage. So it's three yin meeting. So this is where the liver and the kidney and the spleen meridians come together on the medial side of the hind leg. It's about, on an average size horse, it's about a hand's width up from the medial malleolus. So from the point of the inside of the hawk, here's your tibia. So spleen is one of the meridians that actually follows along the back of the bone. Other ones are more in between muscles, but this is actually a long bone. Um, but if you very lightly stroke on the back of the tibia when you're about a hand's width up, there's a little tiny notch there. Um, and it's the same on us. It's about a hand's width up from our, the inside of our ankle on the back of our tibia. Um, so it's the master point for the urogenital system. So any kind of urinary issues or um, abnormal cycling in mares, it also influences kind of the back part of the abdomen but in general, the spleen has a role in digestion. And then based on the quality of the digestion, 
that influences the health and the feel of the muscles. And it also helps with being able to think clearly. So if you have issues, you know, your horse is really tired or they're, you know, infertile, they're having abnormal cycling or they're bloated, gassy, diarrhea, or they just don't have great muscle quality, or they seem to be a worrier or overthinker, this would be a really good point um, to support the overall yin health of the body and in particular related to spleen and kidney and liver stuff. And then I believe, okay, so, that, so that's the end of individual points. And then I have two point combinations to share. If we, do we still have time? I have no idea what time it is. I have no idea. Just keep going. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I could go on and on and on, but I will try to refrain myself. Okay. So then pericardium and triple heater. So I'm going to talk about pericardium six, the one we found on us earlier. So the pericardium is the heart protector, and that is the meridian that starts, it actually starts on the body pretty close to the armpit and then comes in and down the inside of the front leg. And then the sister, the triple heater, which is not an actual organ, it's an energetic organ in traditional Chinese medicine that divides the body into three regions, um, comes up like this to the shoulder, along the neck, and then goes over and ends by the eye. So pericardium six, don't pay attention to the pink dot, that's a classical point. This red dot right in front of the chestnut on the front leg is pericardium six, and that's the one we found on us. Oh yeah. And then directly opposite it is triple heater five, which is between the extensor tendons there. And the way I find it is I find pericardium six first, because that's easy to find. And then I put my thumb there, just wrap my finger around to the other side if, if their leg isn't super big. And then that'll get you to triple heater five. And pericardium six is called the inner gate or the gateway to the interior of the body. So it has a lot of great uses, some of which we already talked about. Um, it can be calming. The pericardium is the heart protector. So anything heart related, the way I was trained is you start with pericardium because you need the permission from the pericardium to be able to go to the heart. Um, so any kind of tension in the chest, um, it will relax the chest. Cinchy horses, you gotta think pericardium. Um, if they're sore in the withers, that might be, this would be a good point to help with that or shallow breathing. Um, so it's a good point for just about anything. And then the triple heater five is called the outer gate. And it's actually like a guarded or protected gate to protect the body from external pathogens. So like we talked about, you know, wind, cold, heat, changes in weather triple heater five can help kind of bolster the immune system as well. Um, you can hold these two points together and they just count as one point. So it's a really nice um, combination. And pericardium six also deals with interpersonal trust. So like I was saying, letting someone get close to the heart. A lot of times if I feel like 
uh, a client's horse or like I have a client right now who has a new horse and I'm not sure the horse truly trusts the person yet. So I show them this to do so that they bond, right? I can do it, but it's more important for the trust to be between the, the rider, handler, trainer, whomever. Um, and then triple heater five helps with any kind of external changes, either in weather or, you know, the surface of the body. Um, and it's also works as uh, good points for the carpus there as local points. And triple heater five impacts the sinews. Um, so contraction of the carpus, um, you get the general idea. So, you know, it would have a good local influence as well as some of these energetic ones. And then it also for pain that kind of moves around, like it's here one day and then it's there and then it's there, that would, this would be a good point for that. And then last but not least, bladder and kidney. So we already talked, we showed bladder before and then kidney comes up uh, medial, well, actually pretty much caudal. It comes up between the hind heel bulbs, around the hock, along the belly to the chest. So kidney three right here on the medial side of the hock in the thinnest part, and then bladder 60 up here is directly opposite it in the thin part of the hock on the outside. So bladder 60 is the aspirin point. So that's the one that's good for pain anywhere in the body. Large intestine four is good for pain mostly in the front end. So these are really good, and you can hold these two together. These are really good local points for the hawks. So, you know, a lot of people have their horses hawks injected, but these would be good things to do preventatively, especially if your horse seems to, you know, have some issues potentially with their hawks or, you know, they're just young horse and you want to support them. And then for kidney three as a source point, anything to do with kidneys. So bone stuff, teeth stuff, fertility, um, abnormal cycling, the emotion that goes with the kidney is fear or agitation, um, loss of hearing, wounds that don't heal. I mean, it's kind of, the kidneys goes with old age. So if you have an older animal, these would be good points to do along with maybe bladder 40 to support the low back hind end if, if that's where their issues are. Some tend to be more arthritic in the front end. Um, so yeah, so this is another classic point combination you can hold together. They're easy to find. I'll often suggest clients do these just, you know, like I said, preventatively for any kind of hawk stuff. And that are, those are all the points I have for you. Wow, those are cool. And so, so let's take this one for an example. So if I was gonna go out to my horse, obviously he would be standing and I would obviously start at the front end just to let him know I'm coming, but I'd slide my hand down the back of his leg and just rest. Like I could cuff my hand around that back of the hock. Yep. Just above, just above the hock. Cause the, yeah, and so if you're stroking down like the back of the tibia here, cause like here's spleen six again, if you're stroking down the back of the tibia, you come down here, you're going to run into bone. Cause here's the calcaneal tuber. Right. Right. So you come down and you know, depending on how muscly they are, sometimes it might be harder to feel. So if they're resting their hawk, you know, but you can get in the general area, you're just behind the medial malleolus for that and just behind the lateral malleolus for that. Um, but yeah, you're right. Stroking through the area. 
And sometimes what I'll do is I will find one of them and then put my finger on the opposite one. And some of them have huge hawks and I have to use two hands, <laughs> um, you know, so depending on what breed we're talking about, right. but then I just kind of settle in. And, and sometimes if I'm not sure I'm in the area, I'll stroke through and be like, yep, nope. I keep kind of pausing in the same spot. That must be it. And kind of set up, put my other hand somewhere. And then I'll kind of check in with my own breathing and then I'll just sort of wait. And, um, you know, I guess I haven't really said that sometimes you're just holding the points and pausing and seeing what you feel, but it's perfectly okay to move your fingers or your thumb and, you know, you could circle one direction or the other, you could scratch, you could. So you don't have to just hold your hand stationary. That's really no, cool. but I would start that way just to kind of get in the zone, check in with the horse, kind of glance. You know, I don't stare at, at their front end, be like, oh my gosh, did they blink or what are they doing? But I have, you know, I'm looking out of the corner of my eye to see if they are seeming to relax into it or are they a little unsure, in which case I might, you know, need to reassure them or are they a little agitated and I need to check my breathing, my pressure. Um, but yeah, it's perfectly okay to move, to try different techniques. You, you know, you could cup either side of the hawk if they seem a little bit sensitive. I mean, sky's the limit in terms of the way you address the point. Um, but, you know, if you've been there for maybe three to five minutes with no response, you might move on. Just I just stroke back through the area and then I go either to the other side or I go to the next point. Right. So that's kind of the, yeah, give it a little time. Your horse is probably wondering what you're doing at first. If, if he's not used to having you do this and uh, give him a little time to kind of check in with you and see what's going on. If, if this is unfamiliar to him. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes it can be harder to work on our own horses oh, yeah. because we have that <laughs> emotional, you know, right. And, and I know I had one student, this was a long time ago, but she told me that you know, while she was taking classes, she was practicing, but then she came and took the hands on and she went home and she said, she swore her horse turned around and looked at her like, finally, you know what you're doing? <laughs> like after she'd learned, cause she'd been sort of bumbling along, which is fine, you know, and her horse was very tolerant, but she said it was a noticeable difference, partly because she was more confident, you know, I mean, I think sometimes we can be our own worst enemy because we have the self-doubt and oh, I can't do this. I mean, anybody can do this. And I would be, I would encourage people to be less concerned that you are in exactly the right spot and pay more attention to the feedback from your horse. And maybe you're on a completely different point. You know, some are pretty close together, um, but don't be your own worst enemy in terms of, you know, all the little niggling, doubting thoughts. Just kind of, I mean, think of the possibilities. Well, it's such a good point to bring up because so often um, when we're first learning something, we get so busy with where is it? What is it? How should I? And, and the horse is kind of like, uh, hello, you know? Right. <laughs> and then if yeah. we just kind of let that go a little bit and just kind of be there, even if our technique's not perfect or we're oh, not yeah. perfectly on the spot, they're like, oh yeah, keep going. You know, like that. Yeah. You tuned in. Exactly. Yes. All right. I'm going to stop sharing. Yep. All right. That's yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's, it's very cool. It's play with. Yeah. And, you know, the horses ultimately, I mean, you did, and you did bring up a good point when you were talking about large intestine four on a person, some of these points are contraindicated in pregnancy. So if you have a pregnant horse, 
you want to find out which points you shouldn't use because you know the reality is you're probably not going to cause a problem but there are some points who energetically move chi down and with pregnant animals you don't want the chi moving down until they're ready to give birth right um so that would be the only caveat of if you have a pregnant animal do a little research to see which ones of these are contraindicated well, this is great. And it gives us a lot to play with. I'm going to be going to the barn tomorrow and sticking my hands on my horse and kind of, but the, I, I like the, um, for me, it really works to know, okay, it, we're looking at this point. We're looking at the web. We're looking at if I come around and then on my hawks. Yep. <laughs> which Do is those two. Do one Achilles comes up and, uh, and um, it's so interesting because I think that point on the, just below the tibia on the lateral side, um, is one that I find that I'm messing with a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, oh, and that's another good point that just made me think of pay attention to where your horse is scratching or chewing or itching because they probably are working some of their own points. And, you know, oftentimes I'll be like, oh, can I help you out? I'll start a lot of them chew on spleen 21, which is right on the lateral rib cage. Like they'll kind of groom along there. Oh yeah. And they're moving their own spleen chi. I mean, that's where the spleen meridian ends. So you know, pay attention to where they're showing you they need some work and whether you go scratch it or rub it or, you know, help them out. I Hanging think out that's there, always, yeah. that's cool. nice to do. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This is a blast. I'm, it's so much fun to be back doing the webinars and uh, it's really great to see you again. And I'll make sure this, that all of your webinars get into your playlist. I'll double check that. Okay. Thank yep. you very much. Yep. Thanks this was fun. Me. I, I, like I said, I could do this forever. So, oh yeah, well, well, I'm sure we'll have you back. We just have to come up with another topic. Yeah. <laughs> which, which won't be hard to do. <laughs> no, exactly. Thanks everybody. And we'll see you next week. Cause we're going to do about two week. It's probably Monday, Tuesday. Cause I leave for equine affair on Wednesday. If you're in new England, you can come and see me live. I'll be doing demonstrations and I'll have a booth at equine affair in Massachusetts and Springfield. So do stop by if you're there. Thanks everybody. And thanks again, Kim. It's great to see you. Yep. Good Take to see care. you. Bye. All right. Bye.